Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Catherine. We're entering our third mini-series in the book of Genesis. This is the, we kind of broke down the book of Genesis into five different series. And so this is the third one as we start tracing this uh, life of this guy named Abram here. And it's going to change his name. God's going to change his name to Abraham. And as we do that, I just want, I want you to know like this passage that we're looking at today, this Genesis 12, 1 through 9, is, it's kind of the turning point in the book of Genesis, but really in the whole Bible. This is like everything we've talked about up until this point is kind of this foundational truth of God, the creator and the fall and, and, and this God's plan is, has been announced, but we haven't really seen how it's going to work out, how it's going to work out. And so in Genesis 12, this turning point occurs where God unveils his plan. He says, this is how I'm going to do this. This is, this is what the world's going to look like, how history's going to be written going forward. And so it's a crucial passage in, in the book of Genesis and really the whole Bible for us to really grab a hold of and understand. And so as we make that turn... We wanted to make sure that we really kind of recapped those first 11 chapters because of the foundation that they, uh, they put there for us as we're studying the book of Genesis. There's so much truth there that we, we need to know as we move forward. And so one of the things that we did this last Christmas uh, season was uh, we entered into a partnership with Right Now Media and we gave all of our church members access to the Right Now Media video library, which is, it's just got tons and tons of resource. I know a lot of you have taken advantage of that. One of the video series that they have on there is something that's called the Bible Project. And the Bible Project takes books of the Bible, sections of the Bible, and puts these videos out there where they just kind of walk us through the story and explain it and give us some detail on that. And so if you have not access right now yet, we really encourage you to do that. If you would like to get a part of that, then you can come talk to us after the service and we'll get you hooked up with that. But we want to take a little bit of time before we move forward, before we jump into chapter 12 and this turning point, and make sure we're kind of all on the same page. We've been out of Genesis for a couple of weeks for, for a variety of reasons, and so we want to just really recap those first 11 chapters. So let's take some time together and watch this Bible Project video, Genesis 1 through 11. The book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. 
there's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible. And God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential, to care for it, and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden, like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now, the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the humans seize autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The man and the woman, they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are now. They can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go and run and hide from God. And then when God finds them, they start this game of blame shifting about who rebelled first. Now, right here, the story stops. And there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head, which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost because the snake too will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled. And what does God do? He promises to rescue them. 
But this doesn't erase the consequences of the human's decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings, or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted, and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world, and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, Noah, and his family, and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high, but then Noah fails too, and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam, naked and ashamed just like the first, and the downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick. And they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before. And they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods, and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's the garden rebellion now writ large. And so God humbles their pride and scatters them. Now, this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. These stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad, that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships, leading to conflict and violence and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come, the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. And so despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue his world. And so the big question, of course, is what is God going to do? And the next story, The Hinge, offers the answer. But for now, that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is all about. I hope you enjoyed that. Such, such great foundation. I hope that was helpful to you. I hope you'll check out those resources. It took me forever to draw all that. So I um, hope you really enjoyed it. I'm kidding, of course. So we're kind of left waiting 
just like in the video, we're left waiting to, to find out what is God's plan? How's he going to redeem all this? How he's, how's he going to fix all this? Like in 11 chapters, we've completely messed this whole thing up. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God reveals his plan. We get to see the beginning of that. This passage is so crucial, one through nine, that we're going to take it in two weeks. We're going to really dive into this so that we can really understand where we're going from here. And this week we're going to look at basically what God is going to do. We're going to look at God's plan. And then next week we'll look at verses four through nine as we talk about Abram's response or Abraham's faith as he obeyed God and trusted God. And so we're going to dive into this, really the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12 in order to make that very clear, help us understand. Here's, here's what God's doing. Based on everything that's happened and all the mess we've made of the world, here's his plan. Here's how it's going to unfold from here on out. And as we learn about God's plan for Abram and his family, we will we'll learn about God's plan for us and our family as well. Now, before we really answer the question, before we go deep into the, the, the answer of here's what God's plan is specifically, I don't want to rush past God's choosing of Abraham, his, his, his calling of Abram. And I think it's really interesting that what we see in this passage is that God's plan is that he's going to begin to focus his attention on this one family. And he's going to build from this family a great nation of people. And those are going to be God's people that God has decided to, out of all of the world, out of all of humanity, he's going to really, really drill down and bless, pour out his blessing on a group of people that he's going to call his own. They're going to be his chosen people. That's his plan. And so as God looks at the world to decide, who, who, who should I start this plan? Where, where should I start this plan? He starts with Abram. And I just want you to just stop and think about how, how that would not be your choice if you were making the choice at the time. Abram's such an unlikely choice for this role. That he's 75 years old. You heard Catherine read that a while ago. He's 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, is what we know her as, Sarai. She's never had children. She's unable to have children. They're, they're past the childbearing years. And then she's also barren. There is no family. This is who God says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna make to make from you a great nation of descendants that's going to outnumber the sand on the, on the shore, outnumber the stars in the sky. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And so before we really answer the question of what is God going to do to redeem the world, I want to just at least make this point that God consistently does this. He uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. And I know it's probably something that we've said multiple times here. We need to say it all the time. We need to remember it. We need to remind each other of the fact that this is who God loves to use, that God takes the unlikely person, the unlikely circumstance, the unlikely situation, and he uses it to accomplish his purposes. Because when he does that, he gets the glory. And God is about spreading his glory and his fame across the earth. And so he uses us when we're unlikely. He uses unlikely people. Maybe nobody at the time more unlikely than Abram. Add to the fact that, he's, that they're past the childbearing years and they've never been able to have children. Add, add to that fact that he's not necessarily a spiritual giant. He's from the 
the Ur of the Chaldees, that, that, that area was known as a hotbed for worship of the moon god. And so there's nothing that really indicates that Abraham was a God-fearing, God-follower. There's maybe some hints along the way, but we don't see this great man of faith and God chooses him because of his spirituality, but God chooses him because of how much he's doing great for God. He, he calls him out of a pagan city. He calls him out of a pagan environment to follow him. This is all God choosing the unlikely to accomplish his purposes. And just think about all the stories in our Bible and how many times that that's, that's part of the story that we see, that God chooses Moses to go and lead the people out of Egypt, to lead his people out, even though Moses is a fugitive from the law because he killed an Egyptian the last time he tried to do this. God chooses Moses to go speak before Pharaoh, even though Moses says he doesn't, he doesn't have a way with words. He's not good in, spe in speech. Like, God uses the unlikely always. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of his MOs. To accomplish his purposes, he picks unlikely people, and then he works through them to demonstrate his power. He chooses David to be the next king, even though David is the most unlikely person in his family to be the king. He's the youngest son of, the, of Jesse. He's, he's out tending the sheep while everybody else is being evaluated. Everybody else may look like they could be a king. David's just a little shepherd boy. God doesn't look at outward appearances, he looks at the heart, and he knew that David's heart was after him, and so he chooses David, even though on the surface it looks very unlikely. The disciples that Jesus chose to follow him, so unlikely. You remember they were fishermen. They were first century rednecks. The, the, in Acts, it says that they were ordinary, unschooled men. In the Greek, I went and looked up the Greek, and it actually it's translated yee-yee right there. That's how it's translated, that that's what they were. Like, they're... They're just normal guys. They don't have training, they don't have schooling, they don't have education that would make them the likely candidates for that. God chooses the unlikely. God chooses a guy named Paul whose his mission is to stop Christianity, to kill it. And on the way, he's, he's okay with killing Christians. And God interrupts his journey to Damascus rescues him, saves him, brings him into the family of God, and then takes the self-proclaimed Hebrew of Hebrews, the, the Pharisee, the guy who understands the Jewish culture as much as anybody would understand the Jewish culture and says, yeah, I got a plan for you to go to the Gentiles. <laughs> so unlikely. This is who God uses. Unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. And that's the beauty of the church, that all of us are in that category. Sometimes we don't want to admit it, and that's when we are actually walking into a dangerous place, that every single one of us is unlikely, and God, his plan is to use every single one of us to accomplish his purposes in the church, through the church. And so you don't, you don't come and sit and, and, and just soak it up. You come to serve. You come to contribute. You come to, with this belief and this trust that here's what God does. All throughout my scripture, I see it. God uses people just like you and people like me to accomplish his purposes in a way that only he could accomplish, and he gets the glory, and we get the joy of being in on what he's doing. God uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. Warren Wiersbe said it this way about this passage. He said, it, he said, we're not saved by making promises to God. We're saved by believing God's promises to us. It was God who graciously gave his covenant to Abraham and he responded with faith and obedience. How you respond to God's promises determines what God will do in your life. Do you believe God is big enough to use you to accomplish his purposes. You may sit there and go, no, 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 God, would, God wouldn't choose me. God doesn't have that plan for me. Like he, he doesn't, 
you don't even know, Sue, what I've done. You don't know how far away from God I've been. You don't know how many times I've messed up. No, these are the people in our Bible that God loves to use for his purposes. How God uses your life, what you, how you contribute to his kingdom, the significance of your life is really determined by how you respond to his promise. It's faith and obedience. God uses unlikely people, and I'm going to step into a role. I'm going to serve. I'm going to, I'm going to minister. I'm going to go to camp. I'm going to do a mission trip. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to serve in my community. I'm going to get involved because God uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. And I just think that's a great reminder for us. I didn't want to rush past it, but let's, let's go ahead and answer the question. What is God's plan? From this point forward, the rest of history, like, what is God's plan going to look like? And what we see is that he told Abraham his plan. He reveals to Abram his plan. Verse 2, I'm going to make of you, Abram, a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is his plan is to take this guy, Abram, and his wife, and to give them children, and then to bless them significantly, to pour out his blessings on them. He's going to make from them a great nation. He's going to change his name to Abraham and make his name great. God did that, right? We know that God made Abraham's name great. We know his name. Most of us in this place, we're somewhat familiar with his story. Someone got a little carried away at one point, wrote that song thought this will really, really make his name great, and it just gets in your head and you can't get it out. But for the most part, like, we know this story. God made a great nation of him. God is going to bless him tremendously. That's part of God's plan here. But don't miss the other part of God's plan. So that you will be a blessing is how it says at the end of chapter, verse 2. And then in verse 3, God says, I'm going to get your back, Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless if somebody dishonors you, I will, I will be against them. I will curse them. And he says, and in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That word families there actually is the word for nations or people groups or ethnic groups. And so it's, it's God basically saying, God, Abram, I'm going to bless you. And then through you, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to bless every nation. I'm going to bless every tribe. I'm going to bless every language. On planet earth. Through you, I'm going to bring a blessing. So here's what God's plan looks like. Here's how we would say God's plan. And just a simple statement for us to remember. God blesses his people in order to bless all peoples. All peoples, all nations, all groups of people, all ethnicities, all, all the whole world. God's plan is to take a group of people, Abram, Abram and his descendants, and to bless them in such a way that he can then bring a blessing to the rest of the world, to every nation. If you understand that, it unlocks the rest of the story of the Bible. If you really grab this story, it unlocks everything else. You see this from a different perspective. If you don't know this, then it looks kind of like God's all about his people and he doesn't care about anybody else. But when you see this and you embrace this truth in our scripture, that this is what God's plan is, blessing his people and then through them to bring a blessing to everyone else, then it unlocks everything. You see that God is blessing his people so that other nations who worship false gods will be drawn to the one true and living God. They will see how God blesses Israel. They will see how God blesses his 
his people and they will want to worship him. They will abandon the worship of false gods and idols in order to worship the one true and living God. And so even when God gives them victory and, and, and they, they have war and they have battles and he gives them victory, it's God establishing his greatness and his glory and his power so that all the nations would respect him and, and revere him and want to worship him. That everything in our Bible is telling the same story of God blessing his people so that through them he can bring a blessing to all the peoples. This is where the idea of mission starts. This is, this is where we get this mission that God has called us to, that we want to not just know God and to be known among each other, but we want to make him known. This is where it begins with us understanding that God's plan is to bless us, his people, so that through us he can bring a blessing to all peoples. This is what he's doing with Abraham. Uh, I've been leading a ministry called I Go Global for the last 19 years, and we do student mission trips. We've got several of our students right now that are overseas uh, from Crosspoint that are overseas with I Go. We have teams all over the world. And for 19 years, like, if you ever want to learn how to embrace criticism, uh, I suggest you get involved in ministry because you always find someone that will have something uh, critical to say. It's just a part of, it's part of the fun. It's fun, fun part of it. One of, the, one of the critiques that I've heard over and over for 19 years leading a mission organization is this. Like, I don't understand why you got to go so far away when there's so much work to be done right here at home. Man, I love that. No, never. And I, I get it. People are like, why would you spend so much money and go so far away when there's so much to do right here in our own backyard, in our own community? <laughs> Here's the answer. It's so simple because that's what God's doing. That, that's his plan. It's always been his plan. Abram, I'm going to bless you so that you can just circle up everything and just really, really have a great nation of people right there. And it's just going to terminate and end with you. You're going to, you're going to love life. No, no, no. God's plan. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the nations. I'm going to bless you so that through you, I will bless all the peoples, all the nations. It's never designed to stop with Abraham. It's never designed to stop with Israel. It's never been designed that way. You and I are sitting here because it didn't stop with the nation of Israel. We get grafted in because of our faith. Like somebody shared with the Gentiles, Paul went to Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia and all these places to share the gospel and it spread because it's not one or the other, it's both. The answer to that is not, well, we'll just go overseas and that's all we're going to do. No, the answer is that we're going to be on mission in our community and we're going to be on mission all over the world. Why? Because that's God's plan. That's God's target. Anything else, just be honest, anything else is falling short of what God's plan is. You say, man, I'm not, I'm not called to missions, which we could, I'm a, I could spend a lot of time blowing that one up. Don't have time for that right now. I'm not called to go overseas. I'm not called to get involved. I, that Honduras thing, that's great for some of you guys, but that's not for me. No, no. <laughs> if you're doing that, you're missing God's heart. You're, you're missing what God is ultimately all about. It's not one or the other. It's both. We should be on mission and serving in our community, and we should be making an impact all across the world because that's what God is doing. That is his target and I want to align my life with what God is ultimately all about. And he's blessing his people so that through them he can bless all the nations. Wearsby again said it this way, God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. And his great concern is that the whole world might be blessed. 
The missionary mandate of the church does not begin with John 3.16 or Matthew 28.18-20. It begins with God's covenant with Abraham. We are blessed that we might be a blessing. That's where we get this. This is where it's from. Our call to mission, our call to join God on mission, to bring a blessing to all the nations, begins right here in Genesis chapter 12. God blesses his people in order to bless all people. So this is such a crucial point. I want to say it again, but I'm going to change the word so we make it really personal. So the same point, we're just making it really personal so that we'll all really embrace it. If you're writing any one thing down, write this down. Here it is. God blesses us in order to bless others through us. Take what he did with Abraham, the promise he made, the covenant he established there, and put it on your life. God blesses you and God blesses me so that through you and through me, he can bless everyone. He can bless our community, he can bless the nations, he can bless the whole world. God blesses us in order to bless others through us. You might want, you might want to write that down and put the biggest period that you can put at the end of that sentence. Because that's it. Don't, don't, don't get confused here. God has blessed you and me, and every single one of us, we could, we could stop and do a, a pretty long service counting our blessings, naming them one by one. We are abundantly blessed, and he's blessed you so that through you, he can bless others, period. You get to enjoy the blessing, but it's not supposed to stop there. We get to really, really embrace the fact that God has blessed us in so many ways and be grateful and thankful and worship him in response to it, but it's not designed to stop with us. We are a conduit of God's blessing. We're not a cul-de-sac. And God has blessed us so that through us he can bless others. He can bless all the nations. And we got to remind ourselves of this truth because it's so easy in our culture to just start resting in God's blessings and to sit and just enjoy it. And, and, and we're thankful. I, I don't even think we're ungrateful, but we just like, we, we shift to a little place of almost being entitled, like we, like we feel like we deserve it or something. And we forget the mission that God has called us. We forget the ultimate reason, the purpose behind it is that he wants to bless us so that that blessing will travel through us to the people around us that live around us, that we go to school with, that we go to the market with, that Whatever we do, that people on the other side of the planet that have never heard the gospel, that God wants to bless us so that we can take that blessing to others. And it's so easy for us to forget that. It's just, it's just easy for us for whatever reason, and I'm right in the middle of this group, to get really self-centered about the blessing of God and to think it's about me and to think it's for me only and forget what God is ultimately doing. You guys... You guys familiar with Psalm 4610? I'm going to put an image on the screen of Psalm 4610. You may have seen an image like this. Maybe, maybe you've seen a sign. Maybe you've seen something. Isn't it a great Psalm? Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. Don't you love the, the picture and the, the setting, the lake, the mountain, the hill, whatever that is, the clouds, just the sun. Everything just kind of comes together. And it speaks to me this truth, if I can just be still. The, the words be still there means kind of cease striving, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't stress out. Be still, because he's God. He's in control. Do you like that psalm? Like, isn't that comforting to you? Now, I want you, I'm going to ask you a question now, and I want you to remember where you're sitting in a worship service. So I need you to be honest. How many of you know that that's not the whole verse? 
Raise your hand. Raise them high. Be proud. I go, people, you better be raising your hand. That's not, that's a third of the verse. Here's the whole verse. I want you to see it on the screen. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's the whole verse. I, I don't think I've ever seen a sign or a poster or a t-shirt that had the whole verse on it. Why do we only put the first part of the verse on there? Why do we put that part? Because that part speaks to us. That part talks about how God has blessed us. And the other part, it doesn't speak to us as much, does it? That other part's about, oh, God being exalted and all the nations in the earth. Well, that's cool and all, but I really want to just be still for a second. I need a still, quiet moment in my house every now and then. Yeah, why can you be still? Why do you not have to worry? Because God's got a plan to bless all the nations to be exalted in all the earth, and it's right on schedule and it's right on time. And you can be still and don't have to worry about God's plan, but you also get this opportunity to be involved in it. And sometimes we gravitate to just parts of scripture because it speaks to us and comforts us and it's a sign that maybe we're forgetting what God is ultimately all about. It's a sign that maybe we've ignored the fact that God blesses us not to end it with us, but to have that blessing go through us to the people around us and people that have never heard. Be still and know that I'm God. God's gonna be exalted among the nations. God's gonna be exalted in all the earth and we're right in the middle of this plan. He's gonna bless us, it's awesome. And then through us, he's gonna bring a blessing to everyone. So, there's hundreds if not thousands of ways that that could play out. I mean, we, we, we could talk about finances, we could talk about time, we could talk about talents, we could talk about gifts, we could talk about all the different ways that you're blessed and how God could use that blessing to bring a blessing to others. But I want to talk about the ultimate way that the Bible shows us this picture, what God's plan continuing to play out for all of history. And it's basically very, very easy to see that the ultimate blessing that God has blessed us with that we're designed to share with the world. The ultimate blessing is the gospel. The ultimate blessing that God has bestowed on us is the gospel. You guys knew I was going to say that because we do that every week. We always go to the gospel when we get to the end of this thing. But it's not just me saying that. It's literally the ultimate blessing that God has given us. The gospel message, just in case... We need to define that. The gospel means good news, and the gospel message is what Jesus Christ accomplished, that he came and lived this perfect life. He died on a cross, taking your place and my place, taking the punishment that we should have had to take for our sin, paying the penalty that we should have had to pay for our sin and our rebellion towards God. And because of his death on the cross, God's wrath against us for our sin was satisfied in Jesus, and now God can move close to us, and we can have access to him. We can be brought into his family when we place our faith in Jesus alone and what he did on the cross alone. And that's the gospel good news message. That is the ultimate blessing. You don't, you don't have any blessing in your life greater than the blessing of salvation that was given to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't do anything to get it. That God gave it to us as a gift because of his son. And that's the ultimate blessing. You guys remember we were in Galatians a couple books ago. 
In Galatians chapter 3, Paul is talking about Abraham. And as he's talking about Abraham, he's connecting our lineage to Abraham by our faith. He says, because of our faith in Christ, we are now spiritually the descendants of Abraham. We are now the spiritual Israel, God's people, because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We've been brought into the family of God. So spiritually, we're descendants of him. I want you to see what he says. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Did you see it? Did you catch it? Yeah, because of our faith, we're brought into the family of God. We're descendants of Abraham. But Paul says that God proclaimed the gospel beforehand. Before what? Before the gospel. Before Jesus showed up. Thousands of years before Jesus showed up, God proclaimed the gospel to Abraham. And here's what he said is the gospel preached beforehand. In you shall all the nations be blessed. That the proclamation of the gospel to Abraham was what we just read in Genesis chapter 12. That in you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. That blessing is going to come. A seed, a descendant of Abraham is going to be born of a virgin. Jesus is his name. He's going to come and he's going to live this perfect life. And he's going to die on a cross to rescue us from our sin and to bridge the separation between us and God and bring us into his family. And that is the ultimate blessing. That was what God was hinting at to Abraham, just giving a shadow, just a little, little taste there to thousands of years before. Hey, there's, there's this ultimate blessing that's coming through Abraham. And that blessing is Jesus and salvation, eternity, all that it brings. And that is the ultimate blessing. And that blessing is great for us. There's no greater blessing for us that Jesus took our place and he's rescued us from our hopeless condition apart from him. We're now part of his family forever, adopted as his children, sons and daughters. We were enemies and now we're friends. Forever friends of God. And that blessing is not just for us. That blessing is not supposed to just mean that we can just gather together and worship and feel good about ourselves. That blessing is designed to go through us to our community and to the nations, to the whole world. That Jesus says that in, in the end, they'll be worshiping people in heaven for all eternity from every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is God's plan. He will be exalted among the nations and we are in the middle of his plan. He blesses us with the gospel so that through us he can bless all the nations. So why do we have people going to Honduras a couple times a year? Why do we have students that are serving some as long as a month right now overseas? Why don't we have students serving that are leaving? Nick has taken some students from Dwell, and, and their Dove is going to London, to England this next week. Why do we do that? Is it because we want to give them great experiences? Is it because, man, we really need to let these kids see how good they have it in America? It's not. It, it really has very little to do with it. It's because God has blessed us with the ultimate blessing of the gospel, and there are people that have literally never heard the gospel before. 
There are people that literally have no idea that there is this good news out there, that Jesus Christ has paid the price for them, that he's died on a cross for their sin, to bring them back to God for all of eternity. And so we sin, and we want to continue to sin, and we're continuing to look for other places to partner and send people out to the mission field to make him famous, to spread his glory, to say, man, God has blessed me with the gospel, and it's not just for me, it is for the world. So let's be a church that continues to follow him, continues to be on mission because of the blessing that we've received from Christ. Let's pray.